Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based upon being outside. What's up, all you marketing managers and photographers and writers and outdoor creatives? Welcome to another episode of Outside by Design. I am your host, Lisa Slagle. I own a creative agency called Wheelie that you'll get to hear some good commercials on later. Um, But enough about that. Let's get into this podcast uh, because I had the honor of having Luis Benitez on it, and he's the director of the Colorado Outdoor Recreation Industry Office. So a few weeks ago, we had Rachel Vandevoort of Montana, and he's kind of like the counterpart in Colorado. Um, And so this is really interesting. And as a creative director, I'm not super comfortable talking to like government officials. And, and that's the interesting thing about Luis is he makes it more approachable. And he's a human being who, you know, he used to be a guide and live in Eagle outside of Vail. And he's like a mountain person who's now down in downtown Denver, uh, representing for our industry. And I think that's commendable and he is doing everything he can as a human being to like make some change in an industry that he loves so I think it's just really interesting Louise is a funny guy but he's also super smart and thinks about all these big picture concepts from supply chain to photography to the intersection of tech and outdoor and uh, just if you can stop and imagine the incredible complexity of his position uh I think that's a really good place to start in your mind before you start listening to the podcast because it's just a massive, massive topic and he does it with good nature and good humor and um, make, makes it interesting and bite-sizable for, you know, civilians like us with cameras and pens and a mouse and Adobe software. Like, we're, we're uh, all part of this too. So, enjoy. Hey, Luis, thank you so much for being here on Outside by Design. Thank you so much for having me. I feel I feel a little a little like, uh, you know, the, the second helping. It sounds like you've already had some state directors on the show and now you've worked your way over to Merry Little Colorado. So thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, we we did. We had Rachel Vandevoort on here. Uh, so that's going to be tough to follow. It's a tough act to follow. Uh, you can't you can't compare to the queen of Montana. That's very very difficult. Um, <laughs> most of us can't out shooter. We definitely can't out drinker. Um, so we we all try really hard to keep up with her. Exactly. Um, and the, so the first question we ask everybody is to describe where they're at and what you're looking at, where you are in the state, and where you are sitting. What am I looking at? I am sitting in a high rise in downtown Denver, Colorado, in the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, where my office, the Office of Outdoor Recreation Industry, is housed. So I'm looking out a window at the beautiful Rocky Mountains covered in snow. Um, we're in a dump up in the high country today. So skiing is on tap for the weekend for sure. Nice. Yeah, you guys are the basically the only place with snow right now. Yeah, it's interesting. We've, we've kind of been this um, late November anomaly um, where a lot of places are 80% open, but a lot of wind loading in the backcountry. So I think people, as they should be, are being careful and cautious and kind of taking it one step at a time. 
Yeah. So just for our listeners who are mostly in the creative or editorial field in the outdoor industry, can you explain, you know, what it is that you do and why what you do is important? Yeah. You know, I think four years ago, the this Office of Outdoor Recreation Industry, four or five years ago, it was really seen as an experiment. Um, should this economy for states where it's a robust economy have state level oversight? And I think if you really look at a state government um, overall, you know, they, they do feel a responsibility to kind of oversee things like agriculture, aerospace, advanced manufacturing. Um, I think of all the other you know, mechanisms within, within a state's economy. But for the first time, as we start to add up our dollars and cents, it was really seen as, gosh, this is a creative industry. Um, it's an industry that does right by doing good. Um, we promote a lot of amazing things from a social perspective, as well as a fiscal perspective. It was sort of a duh and an aha moment all at the same time um, that, that we should be doing all of these things. And so I think that's, that's really where um, the, the importance of the idea and the concept came about. And then we just needed to go out there and validate that process, which is what we've been doing the past four years. And how, uh, how are you validating it? What are you doing? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, for all of us, for all the state directors, it, it's been, you know, you kind of start on your, your backyard global world tour of, of really talking to the different economic clusters and saying, you know, for Montana, hey, what's going on in Whitefish and, and what are you really focused on and what are you really looking towards? And for us here in Colorado, you know, you're talking to everybody from Fruta about mountain biking to Colorado Springs about the Ring the Peak Trail that they're trying to do around Pikes Peak to what are all the different components of the industry from manufacturing and products to nonprofits, to how are we recruiting people, to what is academia doing for us for education and workforce training, and then how do we work with public health because we all know spending time outside is good for you because you actually codify it. So all the directors started playing with those four concepts of you know economic development, conservation and stewardship, education, workforce training, and public health. And the way we've decided to codify it is we've started to come together now twice a year um, to really say, here are our common shared um, best practice deliverables that we all agree on. And we actually created a document called the Confluence Accords. And all states with permissions of their governors um, have signed that document saying that when it comes to these things, regardless of political ideology, these are the things that we believe. And that is a, that is a brand new way for the industry to look at ourselves both internally and for the industry to promote ourselves externally. We've never really had that kind of political voice or that depth and width. And, and I think that's, that's kind of how we're trying to do it. You come together twice a year. Do you guys just like meet in Wyoming at a undisclosed location or something? Ooh, yeah, we rotate between states, um, you know, and yeah, yeah, it is definitely undisclosed <laughs> because, you know, and I think, we laugh about it, but you know, you and I talked about this at the outdoor retailer show. Um, all the state directors are friends, and I think the reason why we're friends, regardless of the politics of that state, is because we know beyond the politics, we're focused on some of the special things that that we feel a deep duty to to take care of um, and to promote and to preserve. And so it's less about competition um, versus collaboration, and much more about where do we all. Um, stand together, and we have we <laughs> we have a lot of fun together too, which I think is is a, a nice surprise for all of us. There's a there's a deep level of respect there. So yeah, we do the boring conference call once a month, 
but but when we get together that the hair comes down you know the 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 boots come, the ties come off and the boots come off and um you know we really we all come from the, you know the industry that we love so whether it's you know from the creative side or the product side or um the political side you know we we definitely know how to have a good time that's awesome and um like how, what, what challenges are specific to Colorado that maybe Rachel isn't working on in Montana? And, you know, like what's your specific thing that you come across? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, Rachel, Dominic in Wyoming and Tom in Utah and I all tease the the coastals as we call them. Um, you know, we don't have oceans, we don't have islands or, you know, fisheries, um, or, or any, you know, the surfing community, the sea kayaking community. So, you know, we, we like to tease the coastals a lot because they have a whole other subset economy that they need to worry about. Um, you know, but I think the thing in, in Colorado that, that we really look at, which, I mean, I think Montana goes through it a little bit as well, is there's this intersection between the energy industry and the outdoor industry and also the push pull and the utilization of our resources. I think Montana Rachel and I talk about this a lot. Um, people are moving to mountain states because they want a little piece of what we have. And what we have is this robust outdoor industry ecosystem. And so it doesn't matter if you go to work in the industry or not, whatever you do, chances are you're, you're relocating to a lot of these places or you're choosing to stay in a lot of these places because of the, some of those amenities. And making sure those amenities are protected while having a balanced conversation about the economy and economic growth. Um, while not crushing the resources that that ec economy utilizes um, is a big part of what we try to focus on here right now. And Rachel likes to tease that, well, you know, our entire population of our state is about X for, for what you are. So we're, I think we're good for a couple more years. And I like to tease her back saying uh, you, you better not rest too, too uh, comfortably because it's coming mm -hmm. and it's coming fast. Mm hmm. Yeah, the population growth of Colorado has exploded. That's no secret. And like, how's that affecting your job and uh, the recreation, the outdoor recreation industry in general? Well, I think we, you know, it, it's it's in the predictable ways. Like, we have to have a seat at the table when talking about transportation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the skiing and winter sports industry is over, you know, almost a six billion dollar economy for the state. And if nobody can get up the highway to go skiing or snowboarding or ice climbing or cross country skiing or snowshoeing or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, that's going to start having a pretty significant impact on that part of our economy. And so needing to be at the table talking about multimodal, you know, multimodality transportation, what that looks like, um, that, you know, that's a new space for us. We were always known as the fun kids. You go off and worry about the rivers and the trees and the guide services. Um, and, and, you know, let us, let the big kids focus on the big kids work. And I think the reality now is, huh, so your economy is bigger than just about any economy we have in the state. And then you follow that up with, especially for us in Colorado, with the recent move of VF and the consolidation of VF here, um, they will become the second largest employer in the state. And they are an outdoor industry company. Mm -hmm. Um, with, with five signature brands moving here. So what does that leadership look like? Because now when we start to talk about these things, it's less about just being the fun kids and more about we're one of the largest employers in the state responsible for a gigantic multi-billion dollar economy and hundreds of thousands of jobs. Um, yeah, you're going to hear about transportation from us and you're going to hear about these infrastructure issues from us. 
and we're going to be a part of that dialogue. And I think that's what these offices allow us to do, frankly, is have, have a seat at the table. Have you always just used whatever sheets are the easiest to find? You're not even sure where you bought your sheets in the first place, are you? You've kind of just had them since college. No one's really sure. No one's ever sure. Well, guess what? Now you can buy really, really fancy sheets online at an affordable price. And that sounds super cool, and I don't really know much about that because I still use the mystery sheets. But I can tell you about a really great creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Most people call it Wheelie. But we're a creative agency for people who thrive outside. Results-oriented, strategy-driven, and a lot of fun to work with. So check us out, wheeliecreative.com. And you might be thinking, Lisa, isn't this your company? Aren't you just doing a commercial about your own company? Yes, I am. But guess what? My company sponsors this podcast, so you get to hear about it. Wheeliecreative.com. Results-oriented, pretty fun too. Yeah, that reminds me a little bit on a really small scale, like seven years ago of working at backcountry.com and then it got acquired and suddenly in, instead of like kids in flannels in these director level positions, they started bringing in like people in suits to be like, all right, <laughs> we're, we're playing for real now. Uh, yeah, it's for playing for yeah. keeps. And what I like to tell people though, and, and I think this is important to get out there and you know, all, all the directors, we struggle with it. I definitely do. If I had my way, I'd be in flip-flops and board shorts every single day, um, but I can't. And, you know, what the what I equivocate it to is you got to know your gear for the environment. You know, I'm not going ice climbing in a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have the appropriate gear for the environment. And I just, I, I try to encourage people to look past the flannel nation that we all love identifying mm-hmm. as and, and becoming and realizing, you know what, every once in a while, you got to throw on a sport coat or a skirt or boots or dress shoes, God forbid a tie. <laughs> um, and, and that's what you got to do because the magic of who we are is our adaptability. You know, I think consider when you're out there, whether you're shooting pictures or you're hiking or whatever you're doing, um, starts to rain, you're not just going to stand there and get hypothermic. You're going to put on a coat. You're going to move around. And our adaptability from, you know, the the emotional to the strategic to the physical, I think that's the that's one of the beauties of who we are and, and how we do things. And, and that allows us to be in a position to lead the conversation. Because when people start getting cranky about change, I think that's when we can stand up and say, are you kidding? Like on any, any given three-hour hike, it could be 80 degrees, 40 degrees, snowing, sleeting. You could get struck by lightning or hit by a falling rock. You want to talk about adaptability? We do that really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there. Yeah. So so how are you, like, you know, speaking of adaptability and things changing, an interesting thing we come across on the brand side is that the lines of, like, what is an outdoor brand? What is the outdoor industry? That is super blurred, right? As, like, Burton is doing partnerships with Carhartt and mm-hmm. all this workwear, you know, on the Patagonia yeah. side. So, like, um, you know, how is this playing into what you're doing? How are you classifying, hey, is, like, is there a line, like, you're not an outdoor industry company, you're not part of our economy, or is that, like, how are you navigating that from, from your side? 
No, I'm I'm pro I'm pro everything, but I I'm I'm the other side. I say the outdoor industry touches everything. I, I challenge. It's almost like this little game of could you can you prove that whatever it is you do for work or whatever it is you like to do personally at some level touches the outdoor economy and industry. You know, do you walk your dog on a sidewalk to the local park? That local park falls under Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is part of our ecosystem. Congratulations, you're part of the outdoor industry. You know, do you own a pair of sensible hiking shoes or trail runners? Yep, congratulations, you're a part of our economy, like all the way down to that level. And, and I think in helping people understand that, you know, these intersection and those lines blurring, like you just described, like this intersection between workwear and technical apparel. Well, there's a lot of people in the workwear world that consider workwear technical apparel. If I drop a chainsaw on, you know, a certain pair of workwear pants, I don't need to wear leather chaps anymore because Kevlar is woven into the fabric of my pants. That's extraordinary. And I think some of those advances in technology allows us to cross pollinate and talk as one industry because that's what we have to get to. Um, you know, the I, I think the opportunity for embarrassment moving into the future is, you know, we talk a good game and say we're this gigantic economy responsible for all these jobs. We do great things in the world. We protect the environment. We protect our natural resources. And people come back and say, well, OK, that's great. And in D.C., where's the leadership? Who do we talk to? And we sit back and go, well, this state has an outdoor industry office. This state's thinking about it. They don't really do this. They're more focused on hunting and fishing, but not really any of the human powered sports like uh, climbing or, you know, dirt biking. But wait, dirt biking's motorized, but we do mountain biking. We don't do dirt biking. You know, there's this there's this great chasm um, uh, of where we could fall down in this dialogue because then everybody could sit back and see say, uh, yeah, see, they don't have their act together. And I think that's one of the, the charges of the state direct, the state offices and the directors to get the gang together, to keep the gang together, and to help everybody understand that we need to speak from one place. And that one place is the industry is much larger and much more connected than we give it credit for. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and that's that's really an interesting thing. Where do you think brands can fall into all this, you know, Oh my God, you're seeing it. You're seeing it right now. Did you catch the news about Patagonia, what they're doing with their, their yeah. tax cut money? Like ten, wasn't it like 10 million bucks or something? Yeah. 10 million, 10 million bucks. They're turning it right around um, and, and investing it in, in climate shift nonprofits, working on trying to make, you know, inroads into some of those different components. And so, you know, I think it goes back to your larger question that these days, from a social consciousness perspective, whether it's environmental impact or social justice, brands just can't be brands anymore. Like you can't just make a great jacket or pair of pants. Your company and your organization, people wanna know what you stand for and what your supply chain looks like and what the impact of that supply chain looks like before I consider buying a piece of whatever it is that you're selling. And so I think it's forced brands to look very, very differently at how and companies how they do it why they do it who they're aligned with and why and and people can smell a fake a mile away these days so if on your website we partner with these three amazing nonprofits and they're part of our annual charitable giving and and isn't it wonderful and we do a service project every year where we work on you know trail building etc cetera, etc cetera. like yeah and 
And how does that connect to the larger picture? Are you politically active? Do you help run legislation? Do you fight for these things in your state? Or is this just about putting something in your catalog? And so I think that we're, we're moving to this place where, thankfully, the industry's waking up to their capacity to lead. Um, you know, when you've got the president weighing in, and, and I think he said earlier today, oh, Patagonia doing that is super irresponsible with that money. They should have reinvested it in their company or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we're, we're, le we're leading by example, and, and we're one of the few economies and ecosystems that are choosing to do that right now. And I think that's something to pay close attention to. How do you, how do you think smaller brands like Topo in Fort Collins, like how do you, how do you think smaller brands can do that when they don't have 10 million to throw? Mm, yeah. Great question. You know, I taught Mark Hansen, the CEO is a, is a friend of mine of, of Topo and an amazing guy, amazing company. And he thinks very, very deeply about manufacturing and how are we going to get manufacturing jobs back on shore um, and the conversations that I have with him are, okay, well, where does academia show up here? Where are, how do we build the talent pipeline for advanced finished manufacturing here back in the United States? It's not going to be necessarily the private sector. It's going to be academia. So he's helping to push universities and programs to say, this is, this is what we could potentially be a part of. So I think it doesn't matter if you're a one person company or a 1 million person company that you, you gauge your level of impact accordingly, but you got to make sure that you stand for something because just making a good product, in my opinion, isn't enough anymore. I fully agree with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, there's a conference here in Whitefish next week um, about public lands and outdoor rec as a business. and um, That's uh, Rachel Summit, right? Yeah, Rachel Summit. And so I'm speaking. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. 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 It's going to be big. It's going to be. <laughs> and so I'm speaking on a panel there about helping brands communicate their beliefs. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of these guide companies or, you know, anything that, that constitutes in our small mountain town here in Whitefish and, and across any large city as well, like anything that constitutes to helping toward that economy, maybe they don't know how to communicate their beliefs or, you know, they know they care about things, but they just don't know how to say that they do or how to totally. show that they do. So like, what's, what's your advice? We have so many marketing managers that listen to this podcast. Like, what do you say to those guys who don't necessarily own a company, but they want to make a difference? You know, I, there's, there's this big, interesting push in, I'd say medium to larger size companies right now. But I think, I think this idea is scalable that you're seeing a lot of organizations create this, uh, this chief impact officer role. Um, and what this role's primary concern is, is ultimately looking at the impact across the board. So if you have people sewing in Bangladesh um, and half of the sewers are going blind because of poor lighting conditions, well, that role's responsibility extends to everything from light bulbs to eye care clinics, to coming all the way back over here to understand what's the employee experience look like, to going all the way to DC and looking at well, what kind of policy initiatives do we want to support and we do we want to take uh, part in. And I think marketing directors and marketing managers, um, I, I think they're the bridge between some of these things. So even if an uh, organization doesn't have an impact officer role, um, thinking about the impact soup to nuts and then the validity of that impact um, you know, doing one eye clinic in Bangladesh um, just to get a couple of pictures and a blurb on a web page, that's one thing. 
um, setting up a multi-year program where it could even involve cataract surgeries for some of the worst cases shows a long-term investment. So I think, um, and I'm sure your listeners have heard this before, it, it's got to be real because the the interwebs is an, an amazing machine. And with a little bit of research, I can figure out if you're if you're trying to green coat, greenwash something, or if you're actually invested. So you always have to have that validity test, which is a lot of what that impact measurement um, is really starting to look at. Is your business struggling to find and retain top talent? Is it hard to weed through resume after resume and still not find what you're looking for? I'm really sorry about your hiring problems. What I think happened was your company hired a creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Wheelie Creative got your company the results that it deserved. And then suddenly you got so much work that you had to start hiring people. Wheelie Creative, strategy driven, results oriented, pretty fun to work with as well. WheelieCreative.com. Sorry about your hiring problem. What do you think about like smaller companies such as like guide services or people who offer outdoor services and not necessarily products or, um, yeah. What do you think about those guys? Yeah. No, great question. You know, I, I think that that is a significant part of the backbone of who we are and what we do, obviously being an old mountain guide myself. Um, you know, there were many a night and many a hut and many a tent on many a glacier and many a mountain talking about, well, what's, what are the standardizations and practices that we should all adhere to? And what are some of the competitive differentiators? Um, you know, the guide in this guiding industry, at least from a mountaineering perspective, is a little interesting in the United States because, um, you know, you can, anybody can call themselves a guide, hang a shingle and, and go to work. What stops people from getting access and making a living is just the red tape of, of getting permitting to get access to, to actually run trips in the back country or even the front country or the side country. Um, you know, in Europe, the, the European models and the Asian models and the, and the New Zealand, the Kiwi models are extraordinary because the permitting goes hand in hand with your accreditation. Um, and, and so once you've got this accreditation, you have that access. And so I think um, I wouldn't say that the guiding industry in terms of some of those pieces is in its infancy, but I will say that they're we're just getting started of advancing that conversation with folks like the American Mountain Guides Association, um, you know, the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, you know, access to rivers. You know, I think for the first time, these trade associations and organizations um, are seeing the need to work with smaller guides and outfitters to help them understand how to deepen some of those opportunities. So I think you're, you know, getting involved with some of those components. I mean, it's sort of the outdoor industry's version of a union, right? You have to have somebody that fights for the little person and these trade organizations can help. And I think they're waking up to the fact that they need to help moving into the future. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to know an interesting permitting situation I come up against? Please. And I wish there was a good solution to. So like, you know, when we have film permits, and camera oh, permits, yeah. like we call the forest yeah. service all the time. And we're like buying that 100 mm -hmm. or $200, depending on what we're doing. We're buying the permits constantly. And I'm like talking to the forest service and I'm like, can't you guys sell me a season pass? <laughs> like, like I'm here <laughs> all the time. Uh -huh. um, and and yeah. that would be one thing yeah. that I think would be just so awesome for creative professionals, as well as just like the Instagram craze of taking cameras into the woods and dragging porcelain bathtubs into the woods to get the stupid shot under the waterfall and like all these things. I'm like, can't we just like do a season pass for camera access? 
Yeah, well, and there's two sides of that coin, right? So I don't know if you follow what happened here in Colorado at Hanging Lakes, yes. where yeah. it's, it's closed off, right? And a photographer chose to put models out on the logs over the water, where it's just, it's really well known, yeah. you don't do that. And that, the, that whole crew was from out of state. So they got permission to shoot but how you shoot, where you shoot. So getting back to the guiding example, those best practices for the industry, like, okay, I trust you because I know you follow leave no trace principles. You're not gonna do something like that. So of course I'm gonna give you a season pass. You, new kid, I'm not so sure about. What, where do you fall on some of those things? And the reality is with the Forest Service, BLM, some of these larger land agencies, they do not have the staffing to handle answering some of those questions. They just don't have the bandwidth anymore. And so the conversation of public private sector, which a lot of our a lot of offices like mine are doing, is what can we do to help? If we really are a multi-billion dollar economy, surely we can influence some of this stuff to help cut the red tape. So I think you'll you'll see some exciting stuff moving down the pipe as we get into the next three to five years. I think that conversation um, will accelerate. Yeah, you got a good solution to all the filming permits or you got one of those coming up? Uh, you know, it's well, what's driving that conversation is uh, drones yep. more than anything. And I'll tell you in Colorado where it got started um, hosting the World Cup up in Beaver Creek um, and Birds of Prey when, you know, the whole Europe, European infrastructure showed up, you know, you had these, you know, world class drone operators um, show up and say, OK, where's your flight control center? Um you know, we want to like do some test runs on flight patterns, et cetera, et cetera, like you do in Europe. And due to, you know, due to Forest Service regulations and everything we've got here, like, oh, nope, it's all cable cameras. And they literally looked at us like, oh, so we're in the dark ages. We like, we literally don't even have those cameras anymore. We don't do that anymore. Why are you stuck in the dark ages? And so that's really pushed that dialogue because as drone technology becomes much more personal and much more affordable where anybody can not only have a drone, but have a, a, you know, a tracking beacon on your wrist. So that thing will follow you on a bike ride, a ski, a run or whatever. Um, we're we're going to have to get there and we're behind the curve for sure. And if it's a land agency's responsibility to do that, and that agency doesn't have the staffing or the bandwidth to address some of these things, you know, my biggest response to that is, okay, well, then what can we do to help? Because mm -hmm. that is our responsibility, not to sit back and complain about it, but to actually get in the game and try to find a solution. Yeah, that's a big one. And like, I just got the brand new Mavic 2 that just came out. It's so awesome. And it's so it's like silent. My other drones have been super loud. Um, and this thing is like creepily eerily silent when you launch it in the air yeah and and that's not just only happening with with you know it, it's happening with a bunch of different modalities of recreation yeah. so you look at e-bikes yep you know the biggest complaint in the beginning is that well we don't give them access to mountain biking trails because they've got an engine right it's a battery so it's still an engine and dirt bikers are saying they don't get access to our trail because they got pedals so that's a bike so it goes over there and you've got the economy coming from asia and europe saying Hey, we just want to come to the United States. So could you figure out the access thing so we could actually help your economy grow? Because um, that's really where we are right now with that. Stand-up paddleboarding has completely reinvigorated the river industry. Because if kayaking's too intimidating, I don't want to be locked in a boat and flip over and, and get stuck underwater. Um, I can't afford a big oar boat, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, I can go to Costco and buy an inflatable surfboard and go hit the water. Fantastic. But there hasn't been any conversations about do we charge a sticker fee the same way we do an ore boat 
to continue to have a bucket of funding to do the conservation and stewardship work that we need to do. So I think it's, you have to have all of those conversations at the table at the same time, and they're all happening right now in parallel. Yeah, it's it's interesting because that comes back to what you were saying earlier about adaptability um, and changing and evolving and leading. And, and so, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of conversation around the intersection of technology and outdoor and change, um, you know, so how how can our listeners make change? Like, how can I talk to the Forest Service about letting me buy a non-invented season pass? <laughs> how, do we, uh, well, how do we make change? Rachel's going to love this one. And so <laughs> I, I will happily um, put her in front of the bus on this one because that's just what we do for each other. Um, <laughs> you know, that's our job. And, and so I'd say if your state has an outdoor industry office, um, go talk to that person. And, and if that person hears enough noise around a certain initiative. If it's one person complaining about drone access, that's one thing. If it's a consortium of people and they keep hearing it, then it's our job to take it to the state capitol and say, you know what? We may want to think about how we do this and, and move the needle a little bit because we all beta test off of each other. So if there's something that we do here that another state's like, another state likes, um, classic case in point is our outdoor recreation card um, for search and rescue mm -hmm. that anybody can get Utah piggybacked off of that and created one of their own. So, you know, we do, we, we steal from each other and play with each other, but it's our job to, to listen to those things, potentially, um, carry the conversation across the street to the Capitol for those things. Um, and if your state doesn't have an outdoor industry office, then maybe you should be asking somebody why, why they don't. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. I'll just Rachel's office and my office are separated by a river, so I'll just unbelievable jump over there. <laughs> nah. Yeah, the, how she got to stay in Whitefish. You know what? All of us that are slaving away in, in the hearts of our big city capitals, <laughs> and little Miss Vandenberg can go out and get on the water and fish and shoot and boat. You know, Montana. Montana's doing something right. I, I say that every time I talk to her, and she's like, mm, "Gotta go." We're hitting the water in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Her office is literally on the river. Like she could, paddle, oh, I know. Yeah, she could paddleboard. I, right the door. Uh, I believe me. We all hear about it quite frequently. Uh, that, uh, that woman was born under a lucky star. Yeah. Every time I see, uh, you know, governor Bullock, I just like to throw in a couple of, Hey, you know, don't you miss having Rachel in the Capitol? Are you sure? You sure you don't want her closer? I mean, the work is so detail oriented. I mean, I, but you know, he seems to be happy with the work that she's doing and where she's at. So there's only so much I can do. That leads me to ask you, like, do you know, do you wish that you were able to move your position into like Crested Butte or Silverton or, you know, something more remote? <laughs> well, I, I came out of the mountains for this job. I was living in Eagle, which is a uh -huh. 7,500 person community um, up in the Eagle Valley. And, and came down here for this job. And I am not a city person yeah. uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I did realize, you know, when I, when our office started, there was only two in the country, it was Utah and us. And so I like to tell Rachel all the time that due to our hard work and our sacrifice, it allows her to lead the lifestyle that she has chosen in the whitefish and the quality of life that she has um, due to our sacrifice and struggle. So would I like to be back up in Eagle? You know, I think there is, I mean, and Rachel obviously has got to go to the Capitol too. I mean, all, all kidding aside, yeah. we all put in our time um, in, in the Capitol, in all of our capitals. 
but the, you know, the reality is too, is it's our responsibility to get out there and, and keep charging and doing what we love. And the benefit to a lot of, at least the Western states is that you can have your cake and eat it too. I can have a great plate of sushi in the big city and be in the backcountry in the same day. And that's, that's saying something. So, yeah. you know, I think as other states stand up, I think Rachel and Montana is looked at as the new model that, you know, of course you can do that. That's, that's totally possible um, as long as there's connectivity to the capital. And I think it depends on your population size and, and, you know, geographic location of how hard it is to get to the capital. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's definitely one of those things that every state does it differently. So what works for you might not work for somebody else. Awesome. So that's a long winded way of saying, yeah, thanks a lot, Rachel, for making all of us really, really jealous. Super appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'll be sure to uh, send her a link. I'll send her a link to this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Just like, yeah, throw, throw a little note over the river and uh, yeah, tell her thanks. Just a nice paper airplane lofted yeah. over there. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, uh, that's, we're about out of time here. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to throw out to our creative audience? You know, I, I think that, for the longest time, we've all kind of stayed in our lanes, right? You do you, I'll do me. We both kind of love the same things and that's, that's good enough. And I would say with, you know, our, uh, the attacks out there on public lands, you know, the impact to our climate, um, you know, even the impact to our economies due to some of those things, you, you can't stay in your lane anymore. You have to speak out, speak up, rise up. Um, and, and be a larger part of a global conversation. And I'm, I'm so humbled every day to get to work with people like Rachel, all kidding aside, um, you know, and Tom in Utah and Dominic in Wyoming and John in Washington State and Kaylin in Oregon. And then we can, you know, don't get me started on the Eastern Seaboard. There's all kinds of, you know, Carol Ann in Maine, you know, and, and David in North Carolina and on and on and on and on and on. Um, and Michael in Vermont, God forbid we forget the ice cream state. Um, you know, it's, these people are all extraordinary and, and the passion that they bring to the table about trying to find the common voice is inspiring every single day. And what I would tell all your listeners is um, you can't not be a part of that common voice anymore. Um, so I don't care if it's three days for a nonprofit. I don't care if it's if it's doing pro bono work for um, something else. But you have to find a way to join the larger conversation because um, being on the sidelines and just staying in your lane isn't good enough anymore. You. It's a, a good one. Perfect. <laughs> cool. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can people follow you or the outdoor recreation office um what's what do you got so our outdoor industry office for our social media channels whether it's insta facebook or twitter it's at co co rec industry so at co rec industry and or you can check out our webpage at choosecolorado.com slash o rec o-r-e-c perfect awesome thanks so much uh, for your time Luis. thank you for having me 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And uh, I'm so honored. Thanks to Luis for his time. I know he's a busy guy saving the world one uh, I-70 corridor at a time. So tune in next week when I speak to Fiona Swartz from Specialized. Fiona is awesome and just one of the nicest, most bubbly human beings. Uh, so have a great week. Ski some pow. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.